Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Beach White Male Podcast. My name is Ken Kemp, your host, and you're here for Season 3, Episode 19, and the two Kens. Welcome. So glad you're here. Hey, you know what? I got a text from my friend Ken, who ran across an article that said, hey, we got to talk about this. And he's absolutely right. Today, we're going to address this crazy question. Why are so many evangelicals enamored with Vladimir Putin and his nationalist vision for Russia? Ken kind of summarized it this way. To your and my way of thinking, it's actually to try to live up more to our American ideals of democracy. These other folks, no, 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 no. This is this dismantling of what is good and right and if, from a Christian perspective, from God. So, so there's already this kind of a marriage integration of nationalism and white supremacy and conservative Christian orthodoxy that wants to have a Christian nation, right? All these things work together. And they see Putin doing this with the Russian Orthodox Church, and they're like, oh my gosh, they are the paragon. They are the model of what America needs to be. And if we have to have a fascistic, anarchistic, dictator, so be it because democracy gives too many people rights. (laughs) Wow. Go Ken. If you've been with us for a while, you know why I like to talk to Ken Fong and why we call ourselves the two Kens. Well, I'm glad you're here with us today. If you're new with us for the first time, welcome. And if you're one of our regulars, so glad you're here. This is going to be another one of the great ones. So stay with us for Season 3, Episode 19, and the two Kens, Russia, Rapture, and Changing Our Mind. Yes, we're watching the war in Ukraine with deeper and deeper concern. It's been so hard to watch the destruction and the death and the misery that's been caused by this invasion. And as we mentioned, both Ken and I look back and wonder how it could be that there has been over the years such an admiration for Putin, what he's doing in Russia. I know a lot of folks are backtracking right now because Vladimir Putin is, as we speak, exposed exposed as an autocrat, a brutal and murderous tyrant. And some are backtracking. But this has been going on now for a number of years. Many evangelicals have just been enamored with Vladimir Putin, his nationalist vision. Spokespeople like Donald Trump, Mike Pompeo, Franklin Graham, and Tucker Carlson, just to name a few. They have spoken with admiration and approval and appreciation for this man's leadership. It's time we raise the question and talk it through. Ken and I talk about Vladimir Putin's relationship with the Orthodox Church. We talk about Nikki Haley and William Barr, who are currently distancing themselves from Trumpism, but both have affirmed that they will vote for Donald Trump if he's nominated by the Republican Party for the election of 2024. Ken and I get to talking about a dispensationalism that was part of our religious life in the early years that went on even into our pastoral ministry. We talk about the particulars of dispensationalism, including the rapture, the antichrist, the sign of the beast. And then we go on to talk about a conversation that Russell Moore had with Adam Kinzinger, 
And then that now infamous challenge by Tucker Carlson to get his hands on the LSAT scores of Katanji Brown Jackson. But in closing, the two of us talk about how important it has been for us and how possible it is for many to just change our minds. Hey, if you're with us for the first time today, I'm so glad you're here. Get ready for a great conversation. And if you're one of our regulars, thanks for telling your friends and sharing the good news about the Beach White Mail podcast. I'm grateful for you. All right, then, let's get to my conversation with Ken Fong, host of the Asian America podcast with Ken Fong. Here we go. This is Ken Fong of Asian America, the Ken Fong Podcast, and I'm here with my good buddy. Yes, it's Ken. It's, it's the two Kens. This is Ken Kemp, the host of the Beached White Male Podcast. Ken, it's great to be back with you again. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, we have something very important to talk about today, but we it's do. always good to talk to you about it. Well, I always love getting a little note from you, Ken, when you run into something that makes you think of me. And it has to do with this this evangelical world that we were a part of for so much of our lives that had this mysterious thing. Not everybody, but there was a significant number of people from our evangelical tradition who have been enamored with Vladimir Putin and, and Russia as almost like a model nation of what America should be. And it has been so perplexing to you and I. But that's something we want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And both of us being from the same generation. That too. Right. So before the invasion uh, of Ukraine by Russia, um, I I think it's been a lot easier for American evangelicals to just go along with this Putin rah-rah club. But for you and I being older, like we grew up during the Cold War, yes, where, where the Soviet Union, as it was then called, was seen as this hotbed of heresy and religious persecution. I mean, the, the last thing in the world would be to see that now Russia and any kind of you know Russian leader would be seen as a paragon of Christian nationalism, uh, the, the, you know, the way that, uh, as you said, it's so a head scratcher, Ken. Right, right. So I think this episode, the reason why I reached out to you is like, you know, I think we would we would benefit our listeners if we had a conversation to try to understand what's what's caused that, even as it's sort of falling apart. And I'm glad you brought that up, Ken, because, uh, yes, we are a similar generation. I think I'm way older than you are, but you know we're similar, and we got we we uh, we have memories that go back maybe further than some of our listeners. At least I hope so. I hope that's true. And <clears throat> you know, it was in the '50s that Billy Graham became the standard bearer of evangelicalism. It's really what gave birth to evangelicalism. But it was also during this anti-communism. Uh, yeah. a mentality that that surrounded us. It's you know we we heard about it when we were going to school, and like I'm old enough to just remember the fear of nuclear war with this uh, with Russia. I yep. mean, we had to hide under our desks. But a lot of that also came from the communist moves in both China and Russia, where many of our missionaries were just brutalized and and forced out of the country. 
And there was this atheism that, that, that permeated communism that made communism antithetical to this whole evangelical movement. And Billy Graham managed to pull together this kind of, kind of wild and crazy group of conservatives who were upset with mainline denominations and wanted to, to, to follow Jesus and to share Jesus in their own way. And it gave birth to this monster movement. But it was anti-communist. Right. And so, you know, uh, irony of ironies, the successor to Billy Graham, his own son, Franklin. Yes. Uh, he has become buddy buddies with Putin, has Go gone figure. to visit him in Russia. You know, so yes. many times when Putin was on the eve of invading the Ukraine, he was telling uh, Franklin was telling his followers, please pray for President Putin, uh, you know, completely leaving it now. It's interesting because we're now recording this uh, near the end of the second week of the invasion. Yes. And even with all the atrocities that Putin's forces are, are committing in Ukraine, um, even Franklin Graham has been backpedaling, yes. soft peddling a little bit and, and saying, well, you know, I do not approve as a Christian of what Putin is doing because, hey, Christians cannot be for war. We're for peace. And yeah. it, it's like. So anyway, I think our conversation today is to kind of understand what's going on with some of this, this dismantling of support. Yes. Uh, you know, what, there are there actually limits? Are there lines that American evangelicals <laughs> won't cross? Uh, you know, because I'm starting to think maybe it's all very transactional. It's like, oh, as long as we get to share our gospel, as long as we get to promote um, kind of white Christians being in power, calling the shots, writing the laws, you know, enforcing the, the rules. Um, hey, we're good. Yes. And I think we are seeing backtracking now with these uh, with these atrocities and this terrible, terrible thing that's happening in Ukraine um, as we speak. And it's it's ongoing, Ken. Um, but I, I think it would be well to just go back and explore, you know, what are the reasons? Why is it? that uh, th these evangelicals were so enamored with this Vladimir Putin uh, and, uh, and, his, uh, and, and his Make Russia Great Again campaign, which we now know is really about empire. I mean, I think, yes. he, I think he wants to become, uh, you know, to revive the whole idea of the czar of Russia. I was just thinking of that term, yes. czar. Yeah. Yes. So, so what, what for you, Ken? What do you think are some of the reasons why some of these evangelicals were attracted to Vladimir Putin? And this has been going on for twenty years. I mean, ten, twenty years. Some oh, of yeah. it under, kind of under the radar, but it's been happening. Well, I think again for our listeners, this was going on long before Trump became president. Yes. So, so as chummy as Trump was is with President Putin, uh, we need to appreciate that. Putin has, and it's not just coming from the American side. If if we've learned nothing from Putin, former KGB guy that he is, uh, he's all about misinformation, disinformation. He's all all yes. about kind of psychological warfare, fake news, right? So he has been infiltrating uh, with what he wants, you know, the messages that he wants American Christians, conservatives to believe about him and Russia. Yes. For for quite some time, so so in in many ways, like Trump is a ultimate transactionalist, so is Putin, and so you know Putin is not a religious guy. Uh, he has never claimed to be a religious guy. Just doesn't that sound irreligious? 
be familiar. Uh, but he, at some point, saw a benefit to his agenda to actually partner with the Russian Orthodox Church, which previously was also being persecuted, wasn't having a good time. But they kind of stuck to their traditional family values, orthodoxy sort of guns, even during the persecution. They weren't being progressive. They weren't promoting gay people, same-sex right, marriage, yes, exactly. you know, all of this kind of stuff. So Putin goes, well, that kind of lines up with my own kind of make Russia great again sort of <laughs> ideals that we we are being um, polluted by the West. Yes. So so I think he partnered with the Russian liberalism, progressivism. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so while he's doing that in his own country and, you know, it harkens back to the fourth century when Emperor Constantine blessed Christianity. Yeah. Uh, it, it's state like the, the leaders, now the it's leaders the of church. the, yeah. So the leaders of the persecuted church back then. And then when, the, with the Russian Orthodox church, you know, rather than going, I'm sorry, you're the one that is you know, the source of all of our, our pain and suffering. They're like, Hey, all right, we're official now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so while that's going on, there's already seeds in our country here in America where a lot of white folks and not necessarily just limited to whites, a lot of conservative people, same kind of concerns. Right. As, right. As, as they're seeing a progressive wind, you know, blow through this country's culture and its values to, 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 to your and my, you know, way of thinking, it's actually to try to live up more to our American ideals of democracy. <laughs> All right. Everyone's of the same worth and so on and so forth. But for the, these other folks, no, 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 no. This is this dismantling of what is good and right. And if from a Christian perspective, from God. So, <laughs> yes. so there's already yes. this kind of a marriage integration of nationalism and white supremacy and conservative Christian orthodoxy that wants to have a Christian nation, right? All yes. these things work together. And they see Putin doing this with the Russian Orthodox exactly. Church. They're like, yes. oh my gosh, they are the paragon. They yes. are the model of what America needs to be. And if we have to have a fascist, fascistic, anarchistic <laughs> dictator. So be it. So be it, because democracy gives too many people rights. Exactly, exactly. That's given us this progressivism. And, you know, um, I, I don't know if you caught it, but Nikki Haley was interviewed uh, this weekend, and, and she was asked, um, uh, do you think that Donald Trump should be the uh, nominee of the Republican Party for the 2024 election. And she said, no, I don't think he should be. And then the next question was, well, if he is, would you vote for him? And Nikki Haley says, uh, yes, of course. There's no way I would support the woke, liberal, progressive agenda of the Democrats. And so, you know, she would, she would just as soon have this autocrat than uh, than democracy, it's uh, it's just kind of crazy. Oh, and then she also said, you know, if if Trump was president, we wouldn't be in we wouldn't be in this mess right now. I, I thought, oh my gosh, what a short memory she has, huh? Oh, they're, so they're doing such extreme political calculations. Uh, you know, for, former Attorney General William Barr. Oh yes, yes. In his you know his book, and I'm sure they're all on this kind of uh, cleanse their record tour. But he's basically saying, you know, he, I just read today, he says, you know, Melania is way smarter than Trump. 
Okay. <laughs> oh, is that what she said? No, yeah, I, didn't, she says, I didn't hear that one. way smarter than Trump. <laughs> Good because morning. She told she couldn't convince Trump not to fire him. She she just said the optics would, would be really bad. But he himself has said in his oh, book, because too, because he wanted to fire Barr before right. Barr, quote, resigned. Right. Right. So, wow. so Barr himself is saying, you know, I think. Uh, we need to move on. We need a different candidate in 2024. We Republicans, however, and, and he's saying he's well, and and he's saying, uh, but if Trump runs again, if he is our nominee, of course I have to vote for him for the he very same, the same reason thing. that Haley said that because as as much as I believe that Trump has was not you know the best president as far as brightness and and what have you, he's way less dangerous than the woke liberals that are <laughs> ruining our country. Oh, my gosh. That William Barr thing, it just, uh, it, you know, it it was it was kind of, well, I, I, I definitely was thinking too little too late. Dude, you know, oh, you're, yeah. you're on oh, a, yeah. uh, you know, he's written a book, so he's got to sell books. And, and he's on this uh, preserve or resurrect my legacy tour where he's kind of hoping that uh, somehow – by making all these appearances and doing all these interviews that he's going to be able to rehabilitate his damaged reputation. And maybe I'm understating it there. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, at, at least we heard him say, stop the steal is bullshit. I don't, I don't right. know if we can say that on your, yeah, I just yeah, said, okay, yeah. on your podcast. But you can say it on your show. <laughs> I can say it on my Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but but that, I'm, just, I'm just quoting Attorney yeah, General, right. no, former exactly Attorney General William Barr. That's right. what he said. Stop the steal is bullshit. And right. of course, that's what got him into trouble with Trump. And I guess what you you ran into was uh, he wanted to fire him on the spot when he did that interview in which he basically said that there's mo no merit in stop the steal. And that's that was enough to get him fired by Trump. But Melania said, no, 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 no. She intervened. And then <laughs> but but when Trump called him into the office, uh, and uh, and the attorney general said, I know you're upset with me now, Mr. President. And, uh, you know, if it helps, I just want you to know that I'll be happy to resign. Boom. I'll take it. Accepted. You're out of here and do not pass go. Do not collect $200 and do not stop by your office. You're gone. Yeah. Well, I have I have news for uh, Barr. If he's trying to resurrect his uh, reputation for all history, <laughs> stick a fork in it. It's done. <laughs> Nicely said. Nicely yeah, said, brother Ken. Right. Nicely yeah. said. Well, so, in, in so this let me hear. Yeah, let me hear. Let me, let me hear your take on why you understand how you understand American conservative Christians uh, being so enamored of Putin and Russia. When again, as we said at the outset, it's so the opposite of how we grew up. And not saying that how we grew up was exactly right, right. but it's such a paradigm shift. You know, it really is. It, in, in many ways, it stymies one, especially, uh, I, it confuses me, especially when we, uh, uh, when we point to this whole thing of eschatology that you and I have talked about a little off record, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that we don't lose folks on this part of our conversation. Okay, but, well, if you're going to use a fancy $3 <laughs> seminary word in this conversation, Ken, uh, yes. you know, I went to seminary, so I know, but you need to unpack that, dude. 
Yes. Well, it's, it, you know, it's this whole thing of the end times. Um, you know, it's this, in this fundamental belief that has been going on for forever and ever, you know, this notion that Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be this monster uh, conflict, world global conflict that's going to destroy the world and just, just, just destroy many, many people. But, you know, Jesus is going to come, and this is a dispensational view of the last days. Eschatology means the study of the last times or the study of the end. And, um, you know. Okay, so you, you just use another uh, seminary word, dispensation. I did. This, yeah. Okay. You, 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 can't, you can't just drop those no, words in this you. conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Lose my audience. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for stopping me. Well, it's this whole. There's this whole uh, kind of view of biblical interpretation that is fundamental and foundational to evangelicalism. For many, not all are dispensationalists, but it came out of dispensationalism. Still, is very strong. Uh, perspective of a lot of uh, a lot of Christians. Okay. It's this idea. Now you've used that same word like three times. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Okay, go. You t- I'll, I'll I'll pass the baton to you, okay. Ken Fong. Go for okay. it. Yeah, when I was growing up at my little first Chinese Baptist church in Sacramento, I didn't know we were being taught dispensationalism. See, so I'm going to use your word. Uh, we were just being, being taught, taught this the Bible. What, this is the Bible. Yeah, this is this is the Bible. And and what that basically said is that human history has been divided up into different chunks, dispensations. Yes, different periods. Okay. Yeah. So there was a time before there was a, a Bible and. You know, people were worshiping whatever. <laughs> and then God reveals God's self through the, the you know, the, the, the prophets, right? The and then the law. The Mosaic blah, blah, blah. law right there on the, and, on the Mount of uh, Mount Sinai. There, yeah, so that's a different time. That's a different, different dispensation. Then God sends Jesus, God's son. So now we begin this other dispensation. We have the, the era of the church. And, and then, um, you know, Jesus is crucified and resurrected, goes back to heaven. And now we're in this next dispensation. Yes. Okay. And so what I was taught growing up was, okay, so in this dispensation where Jesus has already come and gone. Yes. He's promised, according to certain Bible verses, he's promised to come back again. And this is how he's going to come back, right? He's going to come back, not as a human being coming through a, a, a woman's womb, but he's coming in the clouds as this conquering king. And, and this is where Christians kind of <laughs> took different paths. So you either want to be there for when he comes back, because then, man, if you were screwing around, it's 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 go time now. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna pay the piper, okay? Yes. And and that's where this great tribulation fought on the plains of Armageddon, right? And yes. you know, I'm growing yes. up thinking, now who's the Antichrist? Is it exactly. Anwar Sadat? Is yes. it right? All this kind of stuff. And for the longest time, Russia was seen as the vehicle of this great tribulation, exactly. the dark side. Gog and Magog. Yeah. Now, um, you, you know, I'll jump. I'll jump in on 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 this and uh, pick up on your uh, theological term, the Antichrist. Yeah. You know, this is, and you know, we can think 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 about it. If something is anti, it's against. And you know, there are a lot of Antichrist things. There are a lot of things out there that are. That are not consistent with uh, the spirit of Christ or the the identity of Christ, you know all that. But the Antichrist, in dispensational terms, was a world global leader who's going to emerge and basically seduce the world into believing that he's going to be the one to fix everything. 
But the reality is, we Christians are taught to be suspicious of this guy because uh, he's leading us down the path to, to perdition and to destruction and to war. Uh, and and this notion that he's leading us to a, a world of peace and prosperity and everything is just basically something we need to recognize as a falsehood in the Antichrist. So us young bucks who are told that these are the last days, triggered by the birth of the state of Israel in 1948 as uh, being being this first indicator that we are in the last days— there, who is it that's going to emerge? And you had some guesses, Ken. Yeah, right. Didn't right. you? I mean, well, I mean, when I was at Fuller Seminary, there was this movement, not at Fuller, but stuff we were reading, where uh, Anwar Sadat was the president of Egypt. Yes. And so there there was this article I saw that I thought was so great. <laughs> like his flagship destroyer was photographed going through the Suez Canal. And then they ah, zoomed way in. Ah, this is before digital. They yes. zoomed way in to see what the numbers were on the flagship <laughs> destroyer. And I'm going to give Let you one guess. Let me take a while guess. guess. Let one me take guess. a while guess. There were like three sixes. Oh, wow. You're so Bingo. Good. Right. Okay. Six, so when he, six, six. The so sign of the beast. A, so when he was assassinated, well, that screwed that whole thing up. Oh, that messed it up. Uh, okay. So yeah. this has been going on. People are making all these guesses. But I think. What you're inferring is that actually from if, if there is any kind of antichrist figure that is based in reality, he's going to fool the church. He's not going to yes. fool the rest of the world. Yes. Right. So that's what church, I was taught. That's right. what I was so, taught way back yeah, when. Right. So so listeners, you know, check this out. So <laughs> does do any of these points line up? You have a whole bunch of people who say they're Christians, but have these very conservative, nationalistic, even racist you know, yes, values. Too. And that along too. comes someone who doesn't really uh, line up with your beliefs. I alone your beliefs, can fix it. But I alone can fix this. I will make this great again. And you put all your eggs in that basket. How much does that sound like someone who used to be president? <laughs> you know, Ken, I, I wrote an article uh, before uh, 216. I don't want to sound like I'm a prophet or have any oh. claim to be. But okay. I just I did write a little blog post in which I said, you know, uh, th this guy who's running for the Republican nomination seems more to me to fit the profile, the job description of the Antichrist uh, well, than anybody else I've seen. That's kind of, that's that's what I picked up. Now I I uh, I still think that whole narrative <laughs> that we were taught is uh, you know it's it, it's not even biblical. I mean for. Right. Our for our theologian friends and our people who've really taken time to to study their Bibles and to try to understand what it really says recognizes that this whole dispensational thing is a way of imposing a predetermined systematic uh, interpretation on the text. And you know you can search the text for proof, you know, a little proof text here and there that you got the, but it just it doesn't work. Well, I tell you, my first rude awakening. My first year in seminary was when we covered the history of dispensationalism. Because again, I'm going oh, to oh, seminary. Oh, you had a class on it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, it was, it was part of our New Testament introduction, right? Yes. And, I, and I'm going to seminary with my little upbringing, you know, in my church <laughs> thinking I got the whole 
nine yards. All right, okay, let me like, ask you. Let me interrupt. Yeah. Did you have a chart on the front of the church anywhere? Did you ever no, see that? No. Now, I no, did. I, I grew up but, with that. Every, okay. Almost every Sunday school class in the nation had a big blackboard, and on top of the blackboard was, you know, at the very— All the different Let's see, this would be the left at the beginning of it yeah. was creation. Right. And at the end of it was eternal— life. This is what's going to happen after the earth is destroyed and blah, blah, blah. And then we went through all the stages. So that was right there on on the wall. Well, I've seen those. You know, I've been in enough Christian bookstores and other places. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but here's what I, what I learned was, well, dispensationalism as a way of kind of uh, interpreting how everything is going to end from, the, from a, the Bible's point of view didn't exist before the 1800s. Right, that, right. That there was a guy named J.N. Darby. That's the one. Who, who put this whole thing together. Yes. And, and so, you know, simple brain me, I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute. So Jesus didn't wasn't a dispensationalist? Like the Apostle <laughs> Paul was a dispensationalist? I mean, so, so if this was admittedly, historically, not a thing until the 1800s, what for the first 1800 years of the church's existence, heck, Go back to the first century. <laughs> what did they believe yes. about what's supposed to happen? And the, the only conclusion I could come up with, just going back and looking at my Bible, is um, Jesus said, well, you don't know the day or the hour. Right. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. And then the Apostle Paul, he clearly thought that Jesus is going to return a second time while he was yes, still alive. He right? did. Right. So you're supposed to live in readiness, but you don't know. And so I'm thinking, Oh man, someone totally screwed me over. <laughs> like I, yes. I was convinced that this whole dispensational way of being thick. Now, again, we probably now have just about lost everybody. Yeah, there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I want to say what's what's relevant for you listeners out there that you know you have no uh, you, you have no horse in this race. Okay, <laughs> is that you need to understand that this way of thinking still per- pervades most of conservative. American Christianity. It does. In and fact, they view, go, right? no, and go they ahead. view Putin and they view Putin and Russia, not as the Antichrist, but but we're saying in a in our point of view, kind of an, an Antichrist, ironically, but they see like, well, this is actually leading to this great confrontation. In fact, our old friend Pat Robertson. Yes, he's the one I was uh, thinking of. Yes. He, he came out of mummification recently. <laughs> You're bad. To You're to bad. say that, you know, right, this this whole invasion was God God ordained. Yes, he did. He did. And uh, you know, and then we have Hal Lindsey, you know, chiming in, <clears throat> the late great planet Earth. Um, and and in many of our churches there is this uh this drumbeat that this is, these are the end times. And, um, you know, it's a way of creating codependency in the church. That's kind of the way I've always felt about it is if you can, mm. if you can instill mm. fear in people and, 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 and this is getting back to our original thesis is, you know, what makes evangelicals so enamored with what's going on in Russia? And, uh, you know, they, they recognize, uh, that this battle in this country against wokeism and liberalism and all these other, uh, uh, straw pronouns. Men, yes, that they straw people <laughs> that the the, yeah. the conservatives like to come up with as the boogeyman who's going to destroy their life and and prevent them from being able to worship and 
blah, 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 that these are signs of the end times, what's happening in Russia. And, and, and look at Pat Robertson and Hal Lindsay, and what they will tell you is this is more than Ukraine. Where, the, where Russia is really going now is to, uh, is to take on Israel, to destroy Israel, because that's going to be the sign that the last times are really here and the rapture will come and Christians are going to be snatched out. And that's, uh, did we talk about that one t- today too? Yeah. That's, that's another theological oh, the concept, rapture? the rapture. Cause <laughs> no. that, that's out there too, you know, left, but you don't want to be left behind Ken. Okay. So I got to tell you a true story, uh, based on the rapture <laughs> that, that sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> so one of my, uh, roommates, when I was going to seminary, uh, he's, a really bright rascally guy yeah. and, and a Christian. And so he was telling me back when he was in undergrad, your alma mater at UCLA. Yes. Uh, they were on an all guys floor. And one of the guys on their floor was a Christian who was obsessed with missing the rapture. Yes. Well, he, okay, should, he like, should be. I mean, there's so many books out there and movies and stuff, and you do yeah, not so, want to be left behind. Yeah. You don't want to get left behind and have to go through the great tribulation and the horrible condition. Right. So this guy would literally fall into depression Mm. if he thought too Mm. hard that he might miss the rapture. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And now for those, again, you heard the term, maybe you didn't hear the term. The way it was described to us, when it happens, you you could be doing anything, driving a bus. You you could be pouring concrete. Flying an airplane. Yeah. But if you were part of the the select 144,000, whatever, you would all of a sudden be magically lifted up into the air and everybody left vanished. behind. Vanished. Right. Okay. So it was a Friday night. Most of the guys on the floor are out <laughs> carousing and stuff like that. But this one guy who's obsessed with missing oh the rapture, he, he's in the bathroom taking a shower. And so my future roommate and his other friends decided to pull a prank on him. Oh, no. Okay. So, so while this guy's in the shower, they went and they took shoes and collapsed the socks and then the pants and the underpants on, in front of the sink right and they have the toothpaste with the you know running down the side of the thing and the water's running they they have like various things where people just disappeared there's just empty clothes collapsed on each other at various places gone, gone. And, right and then they got the other guy on the floor who played the trumpet oh. it's supposed to be a trumpet sound <laughs> yes like the he blasted this yeah he, he blasted this trumpet thing and then they they hit <laughs> So, so this guy comes running out, just barely wearing a towel, and he comes around the corner from the shower, and he sees all these sinks running. He sees shavers dangling on their cords. He sees empty, you know, piles of clothes, and he lost it. Wow. He was screaming bloody murder. Wow. Like, oh, my God, oh, my God, wow. I missed the rapture. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so he, he came out of it, right? Well. I mean, how did he figure out? Well, because then John, my future roommate, he, he ended up, you know, coming out of the shadows and going, fooled yeah. you, you know, <laughs> and that guy, from what John told me, that guy never forgave them. Like it, it so traumatized. He, guy probably has PTSD <laughs> to this day. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, you, you know, and, and the, the way that the way this really re- relates to what we were talking about from early on is these narratives capture people's minds. I think that it makes them susceptible to these conspiracy theories. And, you know, we wonder where they came from. 
Um, and uh, and and it, we even go back and look at January sixth, and uh, sure. and and we see so much religion. I don't know if you caught it, but um, Russell Moore interviewed Adam Kinzinger on on his podcast, and it was an interesting uh, conversation. Uh, because, the congressman, yeah, and yeah. and um, you know Russell Moore goes, uh, you know, it just made my blood boil to see all those religious symbols on January six. Specifically, and Christian religious symbols. Christian religious symbols. Yeah. Uh, Russell Moore says, and uh, he goes, uh, uh, Adam or, or Congressman Kinzinger, you were there. You you saw it. You heard it. And he said, he said, was what was were those Christian religious symbols uh, just kind of uh, on the periphery, just a couple of bad apples? Or was it pervasive in what you saw? And Kinzinger, I mean, didn't even think about it. He said, he said, Russell, it was 100%. These mm-hmm. guys were thoroughly convinced that they were on a mission from God. And they were rooting their prayers in, in, in the Bible. And they, they believed somehow that, uh, that they had been called on a mission from on high and uh, it wasn't just a few; it was everybody. Hmm. Hmm. Well, the the whole mindset that buys into these narratives—I won't even say conspiracies. Okay, let's just be more general. These narratives—it's pretty hard to get a mind out of the accepted narrative. Okay, yes. especially if if you've yes. invested so much. Uh, when I was doing research uh, years ago uh, about how to get people to change their mind, because yes. uh, I think that would be a handy little <laughs> uh, skill to have, yes. especially when I was still a pastor. Um, you know, there in the 1950s, there was a guy named Dr. Leon Festinger, and he was an American sociologist. And he found out about this cult based on an alien that was being fomented by a housewife in Chicago. Okay, mm-hmm. and she claimed that the superior alien race had appeared to her and revealed to her this higher truth. And as cockamamie as that might sound to you and me, there was 1950s. There was people that were buying this. I mean, these were businessmen, these were college-educated graduate students, truck drivers, a whole swath of people. Okay, mm-hmm. and a prophecy was issued through this woman that on December 29th, uh, stroke past midnight, 1954. Uh, the aliens were going to come and destroy everyone who weren't their followers on earth. And so these few followers had the task to go out and be missionaries and to convince as many people as possible. Okay. So Festinger thought, well, since we're studying why people change their mind or don't change their mind, cognitive dissonance, right? All that stuff. uh, Let's join the cult. Mm. Like, you know, we're going to still keep our wits about this. We're not going to, you know, drink, drink the Kool-Aid because, what a fascinating study, because this definitely has an end date of a minute past midnight on December 29th, 1954. We're not signing up to be in the cult for the rest of our life. So he we so wanna, he kind of joined in just because he wanted to watch it from close range. Yeah, and we want to see when, because we don't think that's true. Right. He's, he's walking in with the assumption, hey, you know, this is not this is not going to happen. Yeah. So but look, I want to be measure- I want to be there and see what happens when to them. Yeah, when the prophe- the prophecy. Uh, clearly is unfulfilled. False yeah. prophecy. Yeah, because I, I want to see if they're going to go, oh, okay, gosh, we were wrong, okay? Right. All right, now, I, uh, full disclosure, 
uh, when I found out about this study, I, I had a special interest in it because I was born on December 29th, 1954 oh. at six, six in the morning. So, so if, wait a minute. Are you the fulfillment of the prophecy, Ken? I, no, are you? no, I'm not even, no, I, I'm not even For unto us, to think that. a child is born. Yeah, no, unto no, us, a son is given. No, 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 no. Oh, I would okay. have not been okay. born. I would have not been born. <laughs> so, so a lot of these followers, they uh, walked away from their houses, their mortgages. They walked out of their jobs, right? Uh, they, they were just prepared to be spirited out of here, kind of in a rapturous sort of way. Yes. Well, Festinger's crew, they're there when it's one minute past midnight, December 29th, and nothing happened. Okay. Mm. So he's like, all right, now and they're this all, is they're the money all in time. the room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is what we want to see. Well, without missing a beat, the housewife comes before her flock and basically says, uh, Newsflash, uh, aliens recently uh, got back in touch with me, and they've been so impressed with our. Our efforts to reach more people to become their followers. She got another that, word. She got oh, a yeah, word that they've decided to delay the destruction of everybody and give us more time to do this. And so Fessinger goes, now, how many people are, I'm going to use your word, calling bullshit. Okay. <laughs> but they didn't. Hmm. Okay. They're, they're hmm. like, yeah. Wow. Oh, thank goodness. That makes so wow. much sense. Okay. Let's get back on our horses and let's do this. And what they concluded was when you've gone all into a yes. movement, to a narrative, and you've lost wow. friends, got, maybe you've been denied employment, maybe uh, you know people think you're an idiot who used to be right. your friends, and then you find out that things that you believe in aren't true, the, the, the potential shame of that, the horror of having to face that outweighs is so the much. Outweighs yeah. the facts. Oh, yeah. So, so it's like, okay, so thank you for giving me a, an, an addition, an addendum to the narrative so I can keep living because the alternative is to face the music. Now, to be fair, Ken, you know, we talked about all this stuff that we were taught, our biblical yes. narratives, stuff yes. like that. And I, I think there's a lot of that going on amongst our cons still conservative evangelical friends. Yes. yes. It's, it's not going to change their minds with facts. And you say, well, okay, so uh, Putin's forces just bombed a maternity hospital. Hello. W women were in labor and they were buried under wow. rubble. Oh, my God. Like, you would think right. that that would change their mind. And it's starting to show a little cracks. But the alternative is, oh, no, I've been part of something that's horrible. Mm. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, what we're, what we're saying is that once... Once we commit ourselves to a narrative, and, and, and it becomes known that we've made that commitment, it becomes very difficult uh, to, to backtrack and say, no, I was, I was wrong. I was mistaken. I was misled. And, you know, as, as you tell that story, you know, it just makes me think about voting. You know, when people vote— hmm. Uh, you know, the, even if they don't make it public, I've thought about this often, you know, there's, there's a reason why, um, uh, you know, we have these booths, you know, where we have the, pri we're in the privacy of this little space where we, where we exercise our right to vote. And, and the idea is that we're voting our conscience, uh, and we're, we're not voting because somebody told us that we should think this way or that, you know, that in theory is what we're supposed to be doing, but there is this enormous pressure 
to, uh, to be on this side or that. And once we make that commitment and it becomes generally known that we're part of this tribe, it becomes very difficult for us to admit that we made a mistake. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we've had uh, our Scott Okamoto on both of our yes. programs. Yes, we have. And he talks about growing up at this big, conservative, mostly white, evangelical church in Pasadena, California. And, uh, and yet somehow his parents ended up voting for Obama twice. That's right. That's okay. Right. Yes, I remember and, that. And I think the first go around in 2008, they just kept it under wrap. It was a, totally on the down low. They let Don't let anybody else, know. Yeah. They let everyone else assume they, they were voting for the other guy. Right. But the second time around, they couldn't contain themselves because they had so many problems Right. And right. with with the other candidate. So they they begin to let their choice known and they basically got excommunicated, not not officially, but the friends that they've had for 20 plus Shun. years. All of Shun. a sudden. Yeah. They're not talking to them. Yeah. Shunning can be kind of subtle, but it is anything but subtle. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, you know, and, and I, I would remember say, that story. Yeah. And I would say to our credit, yours and my credit, um, even though we kept being dispensationalists for so long, even though we kept buying into the whole American evangelicalism is the rightest way to believe, is the right way to believe, at, at some point, and it wasn't at all the sudden point, you and I admitted that we had been misled, that, yes. that there were errors in our belief system. Yes. So I'm, I'm just, I want to make sure our, our respective listeners don't miss the fact that you can go through that looking glass. You you yes. can. It, it's it's not make impossible. But you know, yeah. I w- I will say, Ken. Even as we're talking about this, for me, and I think for you as well, it really took years. It took oh, yes, years. Yes, yes. It took years, and and there were there were a number of those years, just as you described, with Robert's uh, parents over there at the church we both know. Um, <clears throat> it, uh, it 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 during that time it was very private. I I was. I, I was afraid to talk about it out loud because of that fear of being banished from the kingdom, you know, and banished from the tribe. Uh, because Lots that's of what's employment. Hanging, that's what, it, and it can even be a paycheck. Yeah. It can yep, be a paycheck. Yep. Well, you know, I want to, I do want to, before we wrap up, you know, we, we, we ran across this Tucker Carlson thing. And I think that uh, the way yes. this relates is that there is this, um, I, I'm, I call it the conservative propaganda machine that is just working 24-7 out there, and so, so many of the folks that we care about who who are caught up in all of this that we've been talking about are, are tuned in to this, this propaganda machine that uh, is, we know now it's kind of similar to what Putin is doing. I mean, when I, when I hear what Russians are being told about what's happening in re- oh, Ukraine, yeah. because he controls all the right. sources of information, um, it is so far removed from the truth. It's, uh, uh, you know, it makes one wonder how long that can hold. Well, they're um, playing clips of Tucker Carlson. <laughs> exactly. And they're, yeah. and they're, and they're running for, right from the playbook, right from the, right. uh, yeah, that uh, that conservative uh, propaganda machine playbook, um, and um, but wasn't this crazy when Tucker Carlson, you know, comes out with this demand for the Supreme Court nominees LSAT scores? Did you catch that? Yeah, Katanji Brown Jackson, uh, President Biden's nomination to fill this uh, vacant seat. Yeah, um, 
you know, I saw that and this was just the icing on the cake of Tucker's racism uh, when it comes to uh, even before Biden had named the nominee because he was screaming loud and clear on his, you know, very much watched program that, oh, well, this is affirmative action, you know, exactly. front and center, because the implication was there's no way there was a well-qualified African-American female jurist to sit on the Supreme Court. So if there is one that's going to be named, nominated, it's because of affirmative action. And in Tucker Carlson world, that's that's yeah. the only way that could have happened. Yeah. So let's see her LSAT scores. It's like, OK, first of all, all you need to know is she got accepted <laughs> to Harvard Law. OK. Yes. So I don't need to see her scores. And, you know, she she clerked for two other justices, including the one Breyer that's going to be. Wasn't she editor and, of the law review at oh, Harvard yeah, she as was well? One of the editors. Yeah, yes, she was one of the editors. And excuse me, when uh, when Ronald Reagan promised to put a woman on the Supreme Court. Right. Without naming one yet. And then Sandra Day O'Connor. It's like I didn't hear any screaming. OK, you 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 can't just say it's going to be a woman. It's got to be the most qualified person. Right. And then Trump himself. The Antichrist, Trump himself, <laughs> you know, promises that he's going to replace the deceased Ruth Bader Ginsburg with another female. Hello. No outcry Hello. from right. the right. right. And right. then he picks Amy Coney Barrett, right? Yeah. Uh, who now I would, talk about, I, you know I what? I would LSAT like to see her scores. LSAT scores. Yes, I would too. <laughs> I would too. It's, so the yeah the, the same the, with Kavanaugh. I'd like to see his scores. Oh yeah, yeah. The hypocrisy is so glaring. You know, I want to tell you something, something I think of, I just thought of, Ken, I don't know how this is going to go over with everybody, but, you know, when Carl, when Tucker Carlson, who, you know, if he were listening in, he would adamantly claim that I am not a racist. I'm not a racist. I've got black friends. There are black people that work here at Fox News, blah, 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 blah. But when he sees um, Katanji Brown Jackson before the microphone at the hearing, he sees an African-American woman who cannot belong there except for this affirmative action thing. That's all he can see. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you what I see. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I've been doing this racial reconciliation stuff and, and, uh, and listening. I've been doing a lot of listening to African-Americans talk about what it's like to live in a white-dominated world. And, um, <clears throat> and here's what many of them, maybe not, maybe all of them, will tell you they were raised with. They were told from the youngest years, you, because of the color of your skin, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far. That's what these kids are told. Mm. And many of them take their folks up on that. They bust their backsides to be as good as they possibly can be. And when I listen to a Katanji Brown Jackson speak, I am just blown away. In fact, I can I can tell you right now, if you want to insult a black friend, tell them they are articulate. Because when you say, <laughs> wow, you know, you are so articulate. Because most of you aren't. Yes. Yeah, that's the <laughs> assumption. It's right. like I have this I have this surprise that you as a black person could be so articulate. And uh, you know, and I I see that. I mean that <laughs> it is an insult. But oh, yeah. you know when I when I listen to uh, Katanji Brown Jackson speak, and the power of her words and her presentation, her mastery of language, and her mastery of the law, 
her capacity to respond to the most powerful men and women in government, asking some of the most profound questions, her capacity to respond reminds me of a kid who was told, you know what, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far. So I, to me, this affirmative, affirmative action thing is turned upside down. It's uh, it, it's not that she's only there because she's African-American and the president said, I'm going to nominate an African-American woman. Um, it's because she has a profound and sterling reputation and capacity to serve at that highest level uh, in our judicial system. That Does that make sense, Ken? Oh, yeah, it, it really does. And I think the fact that I hope I didn't offend anybody when I said that, but that's that's what I'm thinking. Well, if if, if you're offended, please write the beef white mail. You don't have to write me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, and I would say the fact that she has been a public defender for most of her public career. Yes. Is phenomenally significant because we've never had someone who wasn't a corporate lawyer, uh, right. you know, or working from the DA side. And I think, again, speaks volumes about her capacity to sit on that bench and to bring an understanding, an innate both personal and experiential understanding of what common people struggle with and are up against and how, you know, the systems are are set up. Um, I was just reading today that uh, Lisa, Senator Lisa Murkowski, even though she voted for her, uh, to be on the federal uh, bench is the, well, you know, we're starting over. This is a lifetime wow. appointment, you know, that kind of wow. thing. I, I, you know, and she's up for reelection. So she's kind of in this tough right. place. Fear of the base. It's yeah, fear of the base. And, you know, and she, she won by write in vote, you know, <laughs> so that, that was pretty amazing. Think about um, it. Yeah. But I think that even if we don't get a Romney, we don't get a Murkowski. Um, I mean, Lindsey Graham's, still kind of upset that uh, Biden didn't nominate the black woman judge from his state of South Carolina. <laughs> oh, no, but, I didn't hear that. That, oh, that, yeah, that yeah. explains so, a lot. Oh, yeah. But all we need are 50 plus VP. Mm. Okay, 50 plus VP. And uh, we already have Manchin and Cinema saying, yes. of course, I'm going to vote. Right. Right. So so part of me just says, Let's just get this over with. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I even think some of the more honest uh, people on the Hill are saying this is a fait accompli. It is. Like what? And it's not going to throw off the balance of, of conservatives. And it's the right the thing. It's the right yeah. thing. I do believe that uh, it's important to have the perspective of an African-American woman on the oh, Supreme yeah. Court. It's, a, it's too, long, uh, too long a time coming. Okay. So I got to ask you, you mean – even though he's not a woman, you mean Claire, Justice Clarence Thomas has not brought an African-American perspective to the court? He's been oh, there a wow. long time, Ken. Come okay. on. Okay. You know what? I, I just looked at the clock, and uh, we, we got to wrap this up because you got another big oh, yeah, interview right. coming up here. I know, and uh, this is just too much fun. I lose track of time, but I tell you what, we got to talk about Clarence and Jenny Thomas on the next, next two time. Kens next because time. I'm glad you brought that up, Ken, because, uh, yes, there you go. Exhibit A. Um Okay, but now you see you're getting us to talk about it. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. We got to wrap up. That's it. We got to wrap this How up. How do we now. land this airplane? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <We> gotta, yeah. <laughs> you just got to put down the wheels, man. <laughs> hey, Ken. 
Thanks so much for uh, making time for the beached white male. I just enjoy these conversations too much. And no kidding, I mean, when I looked at the clock, I thought, holy smokes, where did that time go? I hope our listeners feel the same and uh, that we didn't lose them there in all our rapture talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of them raptured away while we they were might talking. Have, they might have disappeared <laughs> yeah, so, without leaving so now, a trace in the twinkling right, so, of an eye in a moment, yeah. like a thief in the night. They're yeah, gone. So, so I, I'm, I, I hate to be the bear of bad news, but we're now left to be living through the great tribulation together. So <laughs> anyway, anyway, folks, you know, this is, this is background information. If you didn't grow up in this culture with these systems, with this narrative, it's important for you to understand how people think. Yes. And, and Ken and I grew up with that. So we're letting you in on the goods. <laughs> but we're also hopefully giving you some hope that even though it may take years and years, that people can change their minds. Amen and, to that, bro. You know, I'm glad that uh, I changed mine. I'm glad you changed yours so we could still be friends. Here, here. Back at you, Ken. <laughs> well, listen, right, Ken Fong, have a great day. And let's keep doing this to Ken's thing. What do you say? We will absolutely keep doing it. All right. Till next time. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Ah, that's right, Ken. You know what? We changed our minds. And others can do the same. As we watch this changing world, it challenges many of the assumptions that we've made about reality. What is true and what is good and what is right and what makes for the common good. We can let go of those old things and embrace what is right. Hey, if you're still with us, then you're not one of those who got raptured and shut us down early on in the conversation. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. Thanks, Ken, for being there. We look forward to the next time. Alrighty then, that's a wrap for Season 3, Episode 19 of The Two Kens. Russia, Rapture, and Changing Our Minds. So glad you joined us today. And again, if you're with us for the first time, come on by our website. Take a look. You'll learn about where we came from and what we're about, thebeachedwhitemail.com. You'll get a review of all of the podcast interviews that we've done. I think this is somewhere around episode 170. We're also on Facebook, Beached White Mail, and Twitter, at Beached Mail. And you can find us on all your podcast platforms. Just do a search, Beached White Mail, and we'll come up. And when you get there, subscribe. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Overcast, and all those popular platforms, including Amazon. When you come by, give us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking. And then tell a friend. Hey, I want to thank Ben Sound for our soundtrack today. And I want you to know that we've got more in the pipeline. So keep your eye on that podcast feed. And when a new one comes up, give us a listen. So... Until next time, this is Ken Kemp, the beach white male, saying, stay strong, keep healthy, wear that mask, and stay curious. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>